0: Star Trek Age of Discovery. I'm Adele Austin Anderson.
1: And I'm Gary Anderson.
0: And we're a married couple who are longtime fans of Star Trek. Today we want to introduce you to the latest Star Trek series, Star Trek Prodigy, an animated series developed to attract younger fans to the franchise. As usual, we'll break down the premiere episode, Lost and Found, Parts 1 and 2. We'll summarize the plot and then discuss our impressions of the episode. We'll end our podcast with recent Star Trek news. But before we begin, please remember our analysis does contain spoilers. So if you haven't watched this episode, you may want to do so before listening to our comments. Now Gary, let's start off with a synopsis for this double episode, Lost and Found. Parts one and two.
1: Okay. Um, the opening scene focuses on Dahl, an alien boy of unknown origin who dreams of escaping from Tars Lamora prison colony located in the Delta Quadrant. O- on the colony, Dahl and other aliens are enslaved under harsh conditions to mine minerals for Salam, aka the Diviner, its overlord. Salam and his daughter, Gwen, are members of the va nakat species who face extinction for some unknown reason.
0: Well, lack of a universal translator inhibits meaningful communication among prisoners and an evil robot named Dreadnought and his minions known as the Watchers keep the workers in check. Dahl takes advantage of an act of sabotage by a prisoner, the diviner refers to as Fugitive Zero.
1: After Dahl is recaptured and in his cell, he hears the voice of someone who speaks to him in his language. They, don't, they, they do not reveal their identity, but it does admit to Dahl he is unlike anyone else on the penal colony because unlike everyone else, he has not given up hope that he can escape.
0: Solomon suspects Dahl must know where to find fugitive Zero, since Gwen is familiar with Dahl. Solom orders her to get the information from Dahl, or he will allow Dregnock to use more forceful tactics. After Gwen leaves, we learn there is something Solomon is trying to protect. And he wants to find out more information about the Federation.
1: Return to work at, in the mines, Dahl is paired with Rock Talk, a young but large brick-hard female with a rock-like skin. Rock Talk shields Dahl from falling rocks when he accidentally cuts a hole in the ceiling of the cave they're working in. Doing so reveals a Federation-style starship the two come on board and rock talk accidentally activates the ship's operations this includes a universal translator which allows them to communicate freely with each other
0: doll and rock talk also discover fugitive zero is on the ship they learn that they are a medusa a telepathic being who is neither female or male as they are composed of a form of energy. They have, they have made a robot to house themselves. The housing allows the Medusa to move and use its mechanical hands. The robotic, the, the robotic shell also protects those without a special visor so not to go insane if they were to look at them with the naked eye. Zero tells them it will take at least five persons to operate the ship. In addition, they are in need of an engineer to make repairs.
1: They add two more to their motley crew, uh, Jenkum Pog, a Telluride engineer, and Murph, a gelatinous life form who cannot be understood even with the universal translator. It happens to be a pet of, of uh, Rock Talks. Mm-hmm. When Dahl sees Gwen and Dreadnought, approach the cavern. He attempts to distract them from discovering the ship. Impatient with his non-compliance, he reassigns Dahl to work on the planet's surface, where no one has yet to survive for very long.
0: Dahl, who seems to have more than nine lives, survives another calamity. Dahl returns to the ship in time to discover the crew had planned to take off without him. Yep. Since they had given him little chance of returning. Yep. Thanks to Pog, the ship is operational, but the shields will not function until a necessary instrument um, is replaced on the outside of the ship. Dahl volunteers for the job.
1: Gwen is taken hostage when it becomes apparent she has led Dreadnought and the Watchers to the ship. Solemn communicates with Dreadnought that he is not to hurt his prize, referring to the ship, Mm. and and not to his daughter. Mm.
0: (laughs) Piloted by the Medusan, the ship takes off to escape capture, although Dahl is still on the exterior of the ship, attempting to repair the shields while trying to evade Dreadnought, who has managed to jump onto the vessel's hull. After a narrow, a harrowing flight through the caverns, Dahl is able to install the instrument to repair the ship's sh- shields. They then manage to shake Dreadnought from the hull.
1: Dreadnought attempts to block the portal that would allow them to escape the planet's interior. However, with Murph's help, they engage their weapon systems to blast through the portal and into space. Not knowing where to take the ship, they voice their need for guidance. This activates a hologram of Captain Catherine Janeway, who asks how she can be of assistance. Mm.
0: Then back on Tars Lamara, we see a weak, frail man who turns out to be Solom. He angrily demands that Dregnock retrieve his ship.
1: <laughs> well.
0: So, let's get into the discussion part, and uh, we're going to first talk about what we like. So, overall, I felt, I think we both felt it was quite entertaining. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, although produced with kids in mind, we adults who are past grown thoroughly enjoyed it.
1: Yeah. I mean, remember, it's, it is uh, targeted towards a younger audience. You must suspend your disbelief even more than you would on a live action science fiction show. I mean, Murph is a character that you're going to have to deal with just like any of the other funny little animals that you may have become accustomed to in Disney movies or some of the other cartoons like that. Um, but for instance, there's other things. There's several instances, instances where Dahl should not have survived or have been not been seriously injured. I mean, he's yes. he's pretty lucky fella. Oh yeah. No, and there's no way someone without magnetic boots, which we have seen in the films right. when people are walking around on the hull of the ship, right, could have remained on the exterior of the ship while it was in flight. And that's not the case for Young Doll. He's right. He's walking around on, in some tennis shoes.
0: Yes, yes.
1: We, and, and Dreadnought is like, he's just scraping across... I,
0: I can still kind of deal with Dreadnought because he is a robot and he and and he may have some magnetic properties, but there's no way. Like I mean, if you're looking at he's got at crab
1: it, legs. That's not the same. <laughs> that is not the same.
0: Okay, okay. They both. The, it was amazing that both of them were able to stay on. Well, the that street.
1: is true. There you go. Yeah.
0: We also really liked the music. Uh, the theme was by Michael Giacchino who did the music for the recent Star Trek films. He also did music for Lost and Fringe, as well as both the Incredible films, just to name a few of his projects. Incidental music was by Nami Mal- Malumad. You can definitely uh, hear, you know, when you listen to it, that it's Star Trek the Star Trek quality reminiscent of past show themes.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely this is more in line with Voyager and with DS9 and the original series and, and Next Generation, as opposed to oh, Enterprise. Enterprise. Oh. <laughs> uh, also, when you look at the animation, extremely uh, detailed, rich um, drawings, definitely a cut above the production quality of most animated the kids shows even those that use computer generation this had a far more cinematic quality to the way it was presented
0: yeah and there's also an introduction to new species we've never seen before or that have only been referenced in the Star Trek books
1: like the brakar Right. And as I was saying before, there is a cinematic quality to everything about this show. And what I mean by that, there's a sophistication to the animation, uh, the music, and the story structure of the two-part episodes all were of a caliber higher than even our other contemporary animated series of the day. I mean, if you, when you get a chance to go back and look at it, and you will notice that there are many cases where the focus... Is on something in the foreground, something closest to the to the camera. That would means that just as it would be if it were done in um, live action, everything in the back is out of focus. And they do this is, again. This is animation. This is something I brought up when we were watching uh, Lower Decks. But here it's even more detailed because of the higher quality of animation that we've got it's very evident that they're taking very serious consideration to how they're presenting the the visuals in this show. Oh,
0: definitely.
1: But you also see in both, in all of the action sequences, the chase of Dahl at the beginning of the episode, the chase of D- Dahl throughout the episode, oh, yeah. and then the escape of the protostar at the end, um... Were presented in the same thrilling manner that one would expect from a live-action film. So, I really am impressed by how this two-parter was oh, yeah. presented to us. I mean, you
0: know, you know, to cut corners. You know, for example, in in animated, you know, um, features for kids, they often will. You'll you'll see the same background again over and over. I mean, the
1: the joke is if you watch the Flintstones, (laughs) Fred and Barney will run past the same window six times. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, yeah. But that's different here.
0: I and the uh, episode also evoked questions for us. For instance, um, there are Alpha Quadrant characters on this penal colony. You know, the Medusin, the Bricard, and the Tellarite. And so you wonder, how did they get to the Delta Quadrant? And why don't they know anything about the Federation?
1: Yeah. Uh, why is Dahl's ethnic identity a mystery to him as well as to everybody else?
0: Yeah. You know, was was he born on the planet? You know, is that why he doesn't know anything about...
1: We don't know. We yeah. don't know. We don't know whether he was captured as a young younger as a younger child, or if he was born on that planet.
0: We also wonder why there's only children working on the penal co- colony.
1: You know, there were some adults in the background, specifically when yeah. he went down lower. But there's yeah. a, but. But the the number of children that are that were part of the crew, of that of that entire penal colony was amazing when you think about it. Right.
0: And and also how did the ship get on Tyres Lamora? So what's yeah, the story what, behind that? Yeah, what
1: happened to the to the crew?
0: Yeah. How did Solomon know that the ship was somewhere on the planet? And what does Solom know about the Federation? Yeah,
1: I mean the Federation seems to be a complete mystery to everybody else. How does he have any kind of information about it?
0: So what didn't we like? Well, you know, we really had no issues with the show. And we're looking forward to upcoming episodes for clues addressing some of the questions that were raised.
1: Yeah. So why don't we look at these characters? Because since these are new introduced characters, they're not connected in any way, shape, or form um, to any other Star Trek show. They're not legacy characters. Um, Some of them are familiar species, but... Other than that, we don't know anything about these, these, these creatures. And so let's take an examination of them. Dahl yeah. and Gwen are the only two characters who, when we are introduced to them in this story, have had a prior relationship before stepping aboard the protostar. And it seems as, as it has developed over a series of interrogation sessions where Gwen has been seeking information in order to please the, the diviner. Um, those sessions have offered both of them the opportunity to talk to someone their own age, which is unique for the the experiences that both of them have. I mean, outside of Gwen, Dahl doesn't have anybody to talk to. Right. And outside of talking to Dreadnought or her father, quote-unquote, the diviner, she doesn't have anybody to talk to, really. I mean, she she's used to... Negotiate things, but right. she really doesn't have anybody to have a conversation with. The two of them seem to be an intriguing foil for one another because they're both alpha characters. You know, they're al- they're both leaders in that th- case, and so but they're leaders in very different ways.
0: Yeah, Gwen, who is called the Diviner's daughter, was originally described in press articles as his clone. Yeah, she knows uh, the several. She knows several different languages of the people they encounter. She possesses intelligence, physical agility, and fighting skills unmatched by any other humanoid we meet. Yet her desire to please the diviner is matched only by a sense of compassion that she displays for the prisoners. Where does that come from? Since her father shows no trace of it. As one of the last two members of the Kat, does she share Dahl's feeling of loneliness? Does she share her father's secrecy and mistrust? What is the diviner's plan for her?
1: Yeah, those are a lot of good questions because I think that that's, that was the thing I was walking away with when I after watching it. But speaking of Dahl, you know, no one seems to know what species he is or from where he comes. But the one thing that appears to be evident to everyone is that he has the courage and the hopefulness to believe in himself and the possibility that he can free, he can be free of this tyranny that the diviner has and his overseer Dreadnought, have instilled on on the planet. Even though he appears to be reckless, which he is, and he has shown, a, he has still shown a level of courage and ingenuity lacking it in almost every other character. Many of the others, even Gwen, who appears to be superior in almost everything to him, doesn't seem to have the conviction to step too far out of line for fear Solomon will be displeased. I mean, Dahl's confidence combined with his impetuousness has been an asset so far, but it could be used against him and the others quite easily.
0: Yeah, so... When we meet Solomon the diviner, he is in a bath of liquid that appears to be repairing his body. He is keeping secret from his daughter, keeping this secret from his daughter, specifically knowledge of the Federation and what he is truly seeking with the mining activity. When the protostar, and that's the name of the Federation ship, you know, in this episode... They really didn't say the name of it yet, but, you know, we're going to find that out later. So when the Pro Star is revealed as it escapes the prison planet, his secrecy proves to have made him vulnerable in a way he didn't anticipate. By episode end, he has come out of the container in a rage to retrieve the ship. It's unlikely that he will get the ship or Gwen back without either of them being changed by the experience.
1: Now, and one of the other questions that you, that pop up when you're watching this show is, how did a Medusan like Zero travel to the Delta Quadrant? How did it create a containment unit for himself considering that it is just energy? I mean, it seems the odd chance to become... You know, when you think about it, out of all the characters that we're introduced to, he's it seems to be the the odd choice to be a rebel, but that's who we see people referring to Fugitive Zero as. You know, um, I wonder where it was planning to go if it had been able to escape earlier than finding the ship, and then, because now it has. You know, now that they've left the the mining colony, it has no idea as to where they need need to go.
0: (laughs) Well, they did show in this episode that the Medusa says he was made to do, or I should say they were made to do things uh, that they did not want to do. He said it was evil things Mm -hmm. that he didn't want to do. Mm -hmm. So it is... Um, it it will be interesting to find out how they made them do that. Right. You know. Right. So well,
1: I mean, it's a it's a Medusa, so there are ways that it could just it could inflict pain and torture on others without doing anything. Whatsoever. But but
0: what what would make him do that? You know. So yeah. what did they have over him? Yeah. That would make him want to do that. Right.
1: Yeah. So it's it's it, it's an interesting aspect of the show. Yeah.
0: Also, as stated earlier, Rock talk is a Bricar, another alpha quadru- quadrant race. She is both the strongest and youngest member of the crew. She's the perfect one to be put in charge of weapons. She's also the only one to have, been, have acquired and been able to maintain a pet. That pet <laughs> is Murph. And I wonder how she discovered it.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's gonna be interesting. You know, like I was saying before, Murph is there for comic relief and not really right. much else. You know, it's it's Murph is the mascot of the group, you know. It's a adorable little creature who is there to provide some sense of comedy for everybody and as he does in this episode, you know, he gets he he gets the shields to working by falling on the the right buttons, and well, by he accident, he pulls all the buttons. He pulls all the buttons right, and yeah. he gets everything working, and um, and also helps them to find the phasers. Um, so it's it's less Scooby Doo or Sebastian the Crab from the um, the Little Mermaid, where they have agency, they have you know they have a way of intellectualizing things, and it's more like Pascal the, the mute chameleon that you may see in Disney's tangled fine you know I mean he's there basically for the little kids to get excited yes. about you know and yes. and there will be obviously toys
0: right m- squishy <laughs> toys squishy
1: toy Murph toys for the holiday season this year guaranteed
0: yeah also let's look at Jacob Pog, who is a tellerite it is, and it's uh, kind of strange that he lacks knowledge about the Federation. Or Universal Translators. His species is from the Alpha Quadrant and they are founding members of the Federation. So, how long has he been in Delta Quadrant?
1: Right, 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 right. Th- that, the, 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 the ones that I have the biggest question mark for are the Alpha Quadrant species.
0: Right.
1: You know, more so even than the ones that we don't know, like Dahl. Right, you know, I'm assuming that that's going to unveil itself over the course of the run of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, this is now, when you look at it, the, the only the third animated series in the Star Trek universe. It's the second to come out in a, in as many years. So that and Lower Decks, and obviously the original animated series back in the '70s, and it's uh, and it's the only the second show designed to attract young viewers in the 55 year history of the franchise, when you think about it. Now, um, and I think that it's gotten off to a great start, even though we could have had something like this, not exactly like this, but some some kind of youth oriented show much earlier than this. I mean, when you think about it in comparison, Star Wars has been creating series for younger fans since 1985's introduction of the Saturday morning cartoon series, droids and Ewoks and more recently the Clone Wars Rebels and Bad Batch have been used to explore parts of the universe untouched by the Star Wars films they have created compelling characters and outside of those introduced in the Star Wars the Skywalker saga mm-hmm. but nothing in the Star Wars universe compares to this show in its overall sophistication of the visuals and the way it's pre- presenting the adventures that they're that they're showing i mean we are looking forward i think to what prodigy is going to deliver in this first season
0: yeah i wholeheartedly agree so let's move on to star trek news first we want to mention that the ready room is back the ready room host uh, will wheaton uh, actually brought together a special episode to welcome star trek prodigy to the star trek universe to celebrate the series premiere, he spoke with creators and executive producers Kevin and Dan Hageman about creating a series intended for a younger audience. He also chatted with star Kate Mulgrew about reviving the iconic Starfleet Captain Janeway Way in this new format. Another feature included cast members answering fan questions,
1: which I thought were cute. I mean, yeah, it, was, it nice. was cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, next we had the Saturn Awards that were recently um, awarded out, You know, hosted by Evil Dead star Bruce Campbell. You um, know Bruce Campbell. Yes. Yeah. The Saturn Awards were presented in Los Angeles to honor the best in entertainment, science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Star Wars-related series—
0: Or Star Trek.
1: Or Star—excuse me, Star Trek-related series um, picked up three honors—
0: So first, for Best Science Fiction TV Series, this was awarded to Star Trek Discovery. Really? Yeah.
1: Well, it was well-deserved.
0: Yes, I agree. Yeah.
1: For Best Supporting Actor on Television, Doug Jones won for his performance of Saru in Star Trek Discovery.
0: And then for Best Actor on Television, Mm -hmm. they awarded it to Patrick Stewart for Picard. Okay. All right.
1: The, we want to also make you aware of the fact that the History Channel is going to be doing an upcoming Star Trek documentary series called The Center Seat, 55 years of Star Trek. finally, you know, it's, It finally has a premiere date. The first, it first was announced last March, um, and the 10-part series is set to debut beginning on November 5th, this coming Friday, on the History Channel with a weekly run of four episodes after which the remaining six chapters of The Center Seat will follow on the History Channel's subscription streaming service, the History Vault. So basically what they're trying to do is entice you with the show so that you'll buy a subscription to their streaming service.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely.
1: So I guess what we'll be watching is the first four episodes. (laughs) And we'll catch the other six when they're released in some other format. (laughs)
0: Well, next we have some sad news. Camille Saviola, known for her role as Kai Opaka in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, has died. She was 71. Saviola appeared in four episodes of DS9 from 1993 to 1996.
1: Saviola began her career on Broadway. Um, In 1982, she made her debut as Mama madalena in the tommy toon directed musical nine she joined the cast of chicago in 2003 shortly after she hit the stage for nine she made an appearance in woody allen's 1984 film broadway danny rose over the next decades she worked with allen twice more for shadows and fog and the purple rose of cairo Saviola also starred in several television shows, including First Monday, Entourage, and Judging Amy. And she was very beloved. I saw a number of actors, Broadway stars like like um, Audrey McDonald and others, um, really lamenting the fact that she had passed and, and really commenting on how what a kind and, and gentle spirit she was. Yeah, Wilson Cruz right. also. Right, right.
0: I uh, had something in his Twitter feed about that. So. Yeah,
1: well, the the, the the Star Trek people who have have Broadway credits, they knew her because yes. they, they either either worked with her or been some way been in association with her, and so she was really well respected. Yeah, she so
0: seemed like she was quite an inspiring actor. Mm-hmm. And we finally want to mention this uh, Los Angeles Times article that we recommend that you read. Uh, It is Robert Lloyd's love letter to Star Trek entitled, Star Trek is the greatest sci-fi franchise of all, why it stood the test of time. Lloyd, the Los Angeles time television critic, takes a personal look at why he believes the Trek universe continues to be worth the watch. You can find the October 28th L.A. Times article by Googling the words Star Trek and Robert Lloyd.
1: Yeah, I read it. It's actually really, really good. Yeah. And he makes some strong arguments in there. It's not just a fan, you know, a fan who now has a career as a television critic gushing. He also makes some very strong arguments as to what are the, uh, the real benefits and attributes of the series.
0: Yeah, and how that compares against other 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 dramas uh, actually. Yeah, yeah.
1: He doesn't just keep it in science fiction, he really compares it to dramas period.
0: Yeah. So in closing, we'll return next week with with a review of the third episode of Star Trek Prodigy. We would like to remind you to share a link to Age of Discovery with people you know who enjoy Star Trek as well. But until that time,
1: like, subscribe, and follow Star Trek Age of Discovery on Twitter at AOD, Star Trek AOD, at Facebook, at our website, startrekaod.net, where we have additional articles about Star Trek and other sidebar issues, as well as you can email us at AOD at gmail.com. But until then,
0: live long and prosper.